Wonderful. Great. Lovely to see you this morning. My name is Mark, and it's a big joy to welcome you online or in person today. And there's so many special things that the Lord is doing in people's lives right now. Who was here for Firestarters on Friday or watched online? It was just such a precious time of people sharing testimony of the things God's been doing, the miracles he's been up to, the lives he's been changing, the way that his grace is pouring out on people's lives. And I shared on Friday, I really believe that God is inviting us at Rediscover along with other churches across the UK, to pioneer a new level of hunger for the Lord. I believe there's something the Lord is crafting and developing in us. And the series that we're in the process of looking at together is part of our vision statement as a church, which is revealing the glory of God. Our vision statement goes on to say, uh, revealing the glory of God to the southwest and beyond, but we're particularly looking at revealing the glory of of God, and I trust that your hearts are stirring with the theme of what God is saying. Uh, a key scripture we've been looking at is Habakkuk 2, verse 14, and it says, For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. The glory of God is the aroma, the taste, the magnificence, the wonder, the greatness, the splendor, the majesty, the might, the joy, the peace, the righteousness of God, all encapsulated. It's so much bigger than you and I can grasp. And the other week we looked at Moses cried, show me your glory. And God said, I, I can't, you can't see my face. Because if you do, no one can see my face and die but without dying. And so God covered Moses' face and let Moses just see the tail end of his glory. Because he's so magnificent. He's so wonderful. It's beyond any of our comprehension. And if you have come to a place in your Christian walk where it all feels a little predictable, it all feels a little bit turgid, it all feels like you know what's coming, that I want to stir your hearts up this morning and say God has got so much more to do in you than you could ever possibly imagine. God is desirous to do on the face of the earth today something that's beyond anything we have ever read about or seen before. God wants to do something today that's greater than anything that the world has ever seen. And I believe God is looking for his bride to be full of his glory so that his glory will spill out from his bride into the world and will bring hope and light into this world that this world desperately needs right now. This world doesn't need more fuel in petrol stations. It doesn't need more toilet paper on the shelves of our stores. It needs a church full of the glory of God. It needs a church full of God's power, full of God's might, full of his word. He doesn't need us to be people who get back into routines and sing songs on Sunday without face masks. He needs the church to be open and hungry to the blessing and the power and the might of God, that we are people that are gateways from heaven to earth, people who reveal him to the world around us. So come on, get off your holy bottoms and let the Spirit of God rise up and him stir your hearts because God is trying to get your attention, church. He's trying to stir us up. And come on, let's be honest. Some of you, some of us should never say you as a preacher. It sounds aggressive and personal. We need to stir up a holy hunger in our hearts because we've become too timid and safe. Some, the times we 
just go through routines and we forget the magnificence and the wonder of our God. If only we could really grasp a hold of just a small percentage of the things we sing, the things we read. We'd see this world transform with the power of God. But we've learned to cultivate and culture and domesticate our God. And God is so much more bigger than anything we can create in Him. Isaiah 9 verse 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And that light is the light of Jesus. Revelation 1.16, and as John wrote this on the Isle of Patmos, and he would have been used to seeing that Mediterranean sun rise each morning, such brilliance that he couldn't look upon it. He said these words, he held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all his brilliance. God has revealed the brilliance of his light to this world, and right now you are in possession of that revelation. Luke 14 verse 18 Jesus the light of the world foretold by Isaiah Jesus the revelation of God to this world he stood up in the temple and he read these words the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. As the light was conceived in that young virgin girl Mary, born into the most humble of circumstances, presented to the world, wonder what it was like for Jesus who knew Mary and Joseph before the foundations of the world were created. And here he was calling them mom and dad. And yet this light miraculously birthed into the world, born of a virgin. And we read, Jesus says these words in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. At last, come on, at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Everyone's trying to weasel out of their sins today. Is it a sin? Can I get away with it? Is it really a sin? Is, did someone make me do it? Is this my culture? Jesus announced that there's good news the other side of repentance. You don't want to run away from your sin. You want to hand over your sin. You don't want to deny it. You want to be freed of it. You don't want to hold on to it. You want to cuddle it. You want to get rid of it. You want to just bring your sin in repentance before the Lord and come before the cross of Jesus Christ and stand up from the cross and walk away free. That's what you want. You don't want to justify it. You don't want to pretend. You don't want to say, well, it's not as bad as other people's. You want to live free. And the gospel is good news. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. The time promised has come at last. And in the next verse, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along, so this is just after he announced about the good news, just after he announced the kingdom of God is near, he was walking along the shore 
by the Sea of Exmouth, sorry, Galilee. And he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Straight after he announced that his light, his glory, his kingdom had come, what's the first thing he does? He builds a team. He invites people to join him. It's the first thing he does. He doesn't sit down in a strategy meeting. He invites people. And what a mix of people he invited here to fishermen. And we see that some of those he went on to add to that number, some were hot-headed and tempered. Some were retiring. Some were professional. Some were zealots, revolutionaries. Some were instinctively compliant. Some were educated. Some others not so. Some had experience in life and others were a bit green. We read a few verses later in verse 21 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, that Jesus called this ragtag bunch of people, this mixture, this concoction, this cocktail of people from such diverse backgrounds, he calls them companions. Wow. Companions. The period of time promised by God, the nearness of the kingdom of Jesus at hand, and he chose companions. Did Jesus not realize how much of a challenge and a problem these companions would be to him? Did he not realize he was going to have to take time to develop them and school them? Did he not realize that one of them was going to betray him? Did he not realize that one of them was going to deny him? No matter how wonderful an experience he gave him, did he not realize that these were not perfect people? Jesus Surely there was a better group of people you could have picked on. Did you not realize that this was a mixed bunch? Did he not realize that they hadn't been to Bible college? Did he not realize that they had a range of opinions on various matters? Did he not realize that some wanted to be more important than others? Did he not realize that he would be deeply betrayed? Did he not realize when he chose you? And yet here you are today, handpicked, chosen, loved, invited to be companions of Jesus, companions in his mission to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, and to declare his favor. And these companions in Ephesians 3 we read that these companions are his church, his bride, his people. We looked at this verse last week in verse 21. It says, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, all ages, all backgrounds, all cultures. Glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through the young, through the old, through every nation, every tribe and tongue, through the male and the female, through the rich and the poor. At the heart of God's invitation to you and I to be revelations of his glory to the world, at the heart of this companionship is fellowship. And just for these next few moments, 
I want to look at two forms of fellowship that the Bible teaches us as spiritual disciplines in our life, that if we do not have these spiritual disciplines in our life, we will not be the companions that God has designed us to be. Two forms of fellowship. The first is the fellowship, which sounds a bit of an oxymoron, but the fellowship of solitude. We'll look more at that in a moment. Secondly, the fellowship of authentic community. Who's the out-and-out extroverts in the room? Wow. Okay, I'm going to ask the opposite question, and I'm expecting a really enthusiastic response from hundreds of people. <laughs> Who are the enthusiastic introverts in the room? Yeah, that's right. Just, just a gentle hand. We're different. The introverts probably prefer out of those two fellowships the, the sound of the solitude one. Being separated, withdrawn, pulling back from the crowd. That feels a bit easier for those of us who are out-and-out introverts. And then the extroverts, the out-and-out extroverts. And, and I don't think anybody's an entire extrovert or an entire introvert. I think we're all somewhere on the spectrum between those two things. Out and out extroverts, they like the sound of community, the buzz of people, being with others, a group to express themselves, and they feed off them. It's not the, it's not the food on the buffet, the bring and share buffet that feeds an extrovert, it's the conversation around the buffet that feeds them. But the practice of both of these spiritual disciplines of solitude and authentic community are not about your natural social propensity. It's far more mysterious and wonderful than sorting out the introverts and the extroverts. Both of these practices are linked and both of these practices are essential in our lives if we're gonna be people that become companions of God revealing his glory to the world. Let's look at solitude together. I'm gonna to give you five key things about solitude and why it's important in our lives. The first one is solitude. It breaks our addiction to hurry. And it breaks our addiction to having to do things. Today, we've never been more at the demands of every ping and notification on our phones. Technology promised that it would make our life easy. Some years ago, people predicted that as technology rises across the world and becomes more proficient in its capabilities, that everybody would save so much time that we'd end up working four days a week and not five or six or seven. Has that worked for you? It's added new demands. In fact, you know, even during the pandemic, the boundaries of when for those who have been working from home, the boundaries are more complicated than they've ever been. You are more connectable. There are less distinctions between work and private life. There's no sort of boundaries that make that nice and clear. And your phone can keep pinging, pinging, pinging. Your emails keep coming in. I don't know what messages you message channels you use, but I get messages on WhatsApp, on Instagram, on tweet, tweet, private tweets, on Facebook Messenger, on email. They come from all over, don't they? There's messages that they come 
throughout the day, throughout the night. And if we're not careful, if we're not used to reminding our souls that that's not good for us, and what solitude does, pulling away from the crowd, pulling away from demands. And I, I find it really hard to find a good time of day to do this. If I get up early in the morning, some of you are up early in the morning. And I'm in my room, my home, it's a, like an underground office. And um, I've got music playing and... I'm reading the scriptures and I got messages pinging through. It's no morning, afternoon, or night that we can say, okay, the world has now no calls upon me. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can find yourself connected to others. And it can feed something in us, can't it? That sense of knowing connection to others, having to do things, feeling indispensable. And solitude, it breaks our addiction to hurry. Um, one of the Ten Commandments was about Sabbath. And I... When I'm talking about the glory of God coming in the people of God, it might be so easy for you to assume that this is about doing more for God. But it's less about doing more for God and it's more about doing things God's way. And this world is teaching us a toxic way of living. I don't know some of you running business. You've got demands on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I want you to hear the scriptures I know you can make as many exceptions as you want to. I know that you can say it's as impossible as you want to. But God says that there should be a Sabbath in your life. There should be a day where you disconnect, where you walk away. And I know that's difficult. But I want to let you know that the glory of God is more likely to be revealed in and through the companions of Jesus when we do things Jesus' way. Yeah. And Sabbath is important. Yeah. We try and be all clever with our multitasking and the phone convinces us that we can multitask. I remember a moment when one of my sons was about, um, I think he was about 10 years of age, and we had its routine. We'd go around their bedrooms. They all had slightly different bedtimes because of their age. And, and I'd go into each of their room and I'd listen to them read for a bit. It was part of that father-son, father-daughter moment. And so I'm laying on his bed and he's reading from a book. He's sort of lying on his back and he's holding the book up and he's reading. And I'm turning on my side. I've got my back to him because it's a single bed and you couldn't both lie that, that way. And he's reading this book. And I'm on my side and I've got my phone out and, I'm, and I think he, can't, he doesn't know what I'm doing because I think I'm being clever. I think that this phone is convincing me I can multitask and I'm just picking up some emails. And suddenly I notice he stops talking. And I look and I say, why have you stopped talking? Why have you stopped reading? 
He said, Dad, you're not listening. You're on your phone. I wonder how many times the Spirit of God could say the same words. You're not listening. You're on your phone. And solitude, we need to pull away. Secondly, solitude, it replenishes our soul. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He alone, get that bit? He alone. He's my fortress where I will not be shaken. See, we build our support structures in so many other things, but there are times we need to know that it's He alone that's our rock. It's He alone is my fortress. He alone is my strength. And there are times when things that are around our lives that feel like they're super support structures and it feels like they dismantle around us. And we think sometimes that's an attack of the enemy. I want you to know sometimes it's God at work. Because he's trying to help you. He's not trying to punish you. He's trying to help you know that he alone is your rock. Everything else will fail. Thirdly, solitude reminds us that we are human beings before we are human doings. It's who we are, not what we do. I always get a bit concerned when people introduce themselves to me according to the ministry that they're involved in. Hi, my name is and I'm a prophet. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you for that. Hi, my name is, and I'm an apostle. Thank you. Hi, my name is, and I plant churches. Oh, that's great. Well done. Hi, my name is, and I'm a, I'm a computer whiz kid. That's great. What you do is not who you are. Who you are is a son of God. And if you don't know the revelation of living out of that truth, then you should get on your knees and stay there till you get up with that revelation in your heart. Because it's the most liberating revelation you can know. You get people join the church because they want to be involved in ministries. And we say, you know, we love people getting involved in ministries. But I'm more interested in who you are than what you do. And sometimes when people don't get the opportunity to do the ministries they want to do, they walk. Their relationship didn't want to be about people with people. They wanted to be about doing. Because there's a deficit in their heart of knowing who they are in Christ. And they compensate for it with action. And God says, I want your heart, not just your hands. Fourthly, solitude, it declutters our mind for wiser decisions to be taken. Do not take, they all say, don't take decisions at times of great stress. But sometimes that's not just those factors of life, such as bereavement or moving home or changing jobs or losing a close relationship. Sometimes just the stress of life is the noise of life. And we can't make good decisions when life is noisy. And you don't have to wait for a holiday. You don't have to wait until you lose all those things. You just have to find a place of solitude to pull away from the crowd. Find a chair in your home or a park bench near you or a walk that you take. Find an area, a place, or a car journey that you travel alone. Find somewhere practical that is your solitude. If you do not have it, you will not grow even if you're an extrovert. Fifthly, solitude silences the other voices 
so that we can hear God's voice clearer. It's difficult to decipher sometimes. If I asked you all, please, after three, would you shout out your name? There would be the noise. You would have said your name. I could have heard it, but it's in a mix of noises. It's in a mix of sounds, in a mix of names. Sometimes we're not hearing God clearly, not because he's not speaking, and not because we're not listening. There's just a lot of voices, and we need to silence the voices. Solitude, the fellowship with the Spirit. But secondly, the other spiritual discipline that we need in our lives, and I'm going to give you five more points, is authentic community. That's fellowship with one another. We can't do effective community, authentic community, unless there's authentic solitude and authentic fellowship with the Lord. They flow from each other. And in fact, authentic community is a cyclical event here because as we have fellowship with the Lord, we have better fellowship with each other. As we have better fellowship with each other, we have better fellowship with the Lord. And then as we have better fellowship with the Lord, we have better fellowship with each other. And as we have better fellowship with each other, we have better fellowship with the Lord. And then as we have better fellowship with the Lord, we have better fellowship with each other. And as we have better fellowship with each other, we have better fellowship with the Lord. You see where I'm going? Authentic community, first of all, it spurs one another on to full devotion in Christ. This is not about friendship. This is far more deep than friendship. See, because what we do, we, we gather with people that are like us to be friends, don't we? We, we need to like them. We need to have similar interests and hobbies in place in order to be friends with someone. But fellowship is much richer and much deeper than that. Fellowship brought, brings people from every nation, tribe, and tongue together. It brings people from all sorts of walks of life together. Fellowship enriches us with experience that we never have. Fellowship is deeper. And at the center of fellowship is not just I enjoy hanging out with them. At the center of fellowship, authentic community, there is the ability to spur one another on to full devotion in Christ. And I'm going to use a bit of a narrative from Acts 2 in this. Take a verse at a time for each of the five points. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. There are times that I've thought, how do we stir up hospitality in the church? Because I don't know the last time that you invited someone back to your home. But I want you to know, that's entry point hospitality. That's not the prize, that's not the end. Hospitality is an open heart that will go to anybody and despite the inconvenience it causes, we'll embrace them with the love of Christ. But we hear, here we see that all the believers devoted themselves to fellowship, to sharing meals together, to prayer, that there was this spurring one another on. The pandemic has revealed a real weakness that we have here in Rediscover. And that is that many people, they enjoy the fellowship of a Sunday, the celebration of a gathering, but don't really have deep fellowship, authentic community relationships beyond that. And I want you to know 
that that's not going to be the sort of church that the glory of God is revealed in. If you want to be a person that the glory of God is revealed, if you want to be part of a church where God is being revealed, you've got to learn the solitude of fellowship with the Spirit, but you've also got to learn, I have to learn, we have to learn, the joy of fellowship one with another. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be launching a new season of life groups. Pre-pandemic, we may have had about 40% of the church congregation involved in life groups. I'd love that to be 100%. Because some people during the pandemic, you didn't have people that you knew. And okay, you could have been a name on a list and you could have received some phone calls from somebody that you didn't know very well. You could have said, well, it's the pastors of the churches that call me. But the Bible talks about one another, fellowship together. That's the church that Jesus reveals his glory in. And they shared everything. Secondly, authentic community creates atmospheres for God's supernatural work. It's not gathering in someone's home in a life group and talking about the favorite episode of EastEnders that took place that week, or it's not talking about the latest Netflix series. It's not even talking about the greatest memories you have as a Christian. It's not even just being nice to each other. It's about creating an atmosphere that says, now God, show up in this place. Bring hope to the hopeless. Bring sight to the blind. Bring freedom to the oppressed. Bring good news one to another. If, we're, if you're in a life group and you're not creating those atmospheres, that's not the life groups that we're after. We're after life groups that create atmospheres for God to be present. Thirdly, what it says in verse 43 of Acts 2, there was a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders because they made the atmosphere conducive. Thirdly, authentic community has a resolute commitment to one another. The next verse 44 of Acts 2 says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Shared. Four, authentic community loves cares, and meets each other's needs. They sold their property, it says in verse 45, and their possessions, and shared the money with those in need. The gospel is more radical than our Western culture has allowed it to be. Church, it's time for the radicals to rise. Either that was too strong a statement, too ouch a moment, or maybe I've lost you. See, there's a cost to saying, God, show me your glory. It isn't about singing louder on a Sunday or being more demonstrative in our worship. It's about us being his people, doing things his way, Living his life. And the fifth thing about authentic community, it shares the joy of diverse journeys and enriches one another with life experiences we may have never known ourselves. As we move into a new season of life groups, and I'm not making any narrative as to what's right or wrong in this, many churches will have different ways of doing things. 
And some churches organize life groups according to interest groups. It might be there are people who all get on, they all have a similar stage of life, or they have the same hobbies. But do you know what I'd love to see in the church? I'd love to see a church that's diverse, that relationships, authentic community that's made up of multiple generations. I'd love to see the older love the younger. I'd love to see the younger love the older. I'd love to see those with experience father and mother, the younger. I'd love to see those with young passion to inspire the zeal of the Calebs among us once again. I'd love to see just the, the richness of diversity of culture. Not that it's about having photographs of different colors on the front of our publicity. It's not just about our musical styles, but it's about us enriching one another with our life experiences. Some of you have come from the most horrendous circumstances in this world. So if you've grown up in the most horrendous of circumstances in the villages in Africa where you grew up, and I don't just want to hear those stories. I want to be changed by them. Yeah. I want you to enrich my life. Yeah. And I want to enrich yours. An authentic community, it doesn't just open our homes, it opens our hearts. Yeah. It's just together. As we read about in Revelation, every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather on the throne. And it says in verse 46 of Acts 2, they worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. There's joy in knowing one another. There is hassle in knowing each other. There is inconvenience. There is disappointments. There are letdowns. There are betrayals, but there's also glory. And I believe the glory is worth the trials, the disappointments, the complications, the confusions. I believe it's worth it all. Church, can I appeal to you? Don't just give your words and your songs to the Lord. Don't just ask in solitude that he would fill you. But look out for one another. When we announce life groups in a few weeks' time, will you join one? Say, well, I, you know, I'm not really that sort of person. Well, become that person. Because it's where the rubber hits the road. Because you need people. And they, and they need you. This is not about, well, I don't really get a lot out of it. Well, give something to it. Jolly give something to it. Don't, you know, no one visited me during the pandemic. Did you visit anyone else? Because fellowship is about enriching each other. What you're describing is no one did this for me. That's not called fellowship. That's called consumerism. And you, there's no doubt you have needs. No doubt I have needs. But we find the Lord when we commit to join together as the family of God, and say, God, together, let your kingdom come and your will be done in me. Amen. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's stand together. God invites you and I to be his companions, to reveal his glory. And he provides salvation and let me say, you might have been coming for years and you're not even sure if you're saved. You feel so cold to the Lord. I'm not asking, when did you make a decision to follow Jesus? I'm asking, what's your love for the Lord like right now? 
Because maybe you need to get saved again. Maybe you need to come back to your first love. If that speaks to you, then respond to that now. He provides salvation, undeserved, unmerited favor and grace. But he also provides transformation. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me put it this way. You're either transformed by God's word or you're deformed by this world. It's transformed or deformed. He provides fellowship. Fellowship with him through solitude and fellowship with one another through authentic community. I know there are still COVID restrictions. And I know that it's probably complex for me to get one of those bind us together moment, Lords, where we all wave our lighters in the air and you haven't got lighters of you, Christians. And we can't really encourage you to join hands together. But I wonder for a moment, you could just look around the richness of this room. Just have a good look. Look in the eyes. Don't, don't just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if you feel intimidated by this. But just look around and think, these are my brothers and sisters. Come on, do it again. Look around now. Find someone else. Think, who who am I looking at that I've never, I don't know anything about them. Maybe just that thought can create a plan of response. Church, if I'm going to experience the new levels of the glory of God in my life, I need you. You need me, and we need each other. It's not enough to turn up to meetings and pray, God, I want to know your glory. It's commitment. If you want to be part of that church, with all its challenge and its sacrifices and its difficulties, I wonder if you, and I'm not doing this as a response, but maybe a response of your heart to the Lord. Would you just raise your hands to him if you're saying, God, I'm in. I want to be part of that fellowship. As you lift your hands, it might be, I, I need to work on that Sabbath again. I need to work on that withdrawing from the crowd. Also, might mean working on some of the disappointments you've had in your heart where others have hurt you and damaged you and you felt let down by them. And you're going to lay that down to the cross and say, God, I don't want that to confine me, to lose out on the blessing of fellowship of authentic community. God, I don't ask that your glory is revealed in this building, but I ask that your glory is revealed in these people. I pray in the weeks ahead that our worship will not just be on Sundays, that maybe we'll say to some friends, hey, do you fancy coming around? We're going to play some, we're going to play some YouTube videos and worship together in our home. Fancy coming around and worshiping with me? 
hey, I'm going to open the Bible up and we're just going to look at some verses that blessed me together. Would you come and join me in my home? Jesus. I feel the weight of just bringing this tough message that it's t- I don't know about for other people, it's tough for me. It challenges so much of my heart and my selfishness. God, I feel deeply provoked. But God, I don't want to be what this world, I don't want to be the deformed version of what you've designed me to be. So Lord, as we've lifted our hands before you, Spirit of God, teach us, guide us, lead us, I pray. May we be people of deep fellowship with the Spirit and people of deep fellowship with one another in Jesus' name. And I'm sure you wouldn't mind holding out for one moment just for me to put this question. If your love has gone cold for Jesus or you've never known him, it's time to come home. It's time to get over your excuses, to get over the mitigating circumstances. It's time to repent. The mess that you've made, the values that you've wrongly constructed, the distractions you've allowed to dominate you. It's time to walk away from being deformed and to walk towards being transformed. If you want to come back to Jesus, pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I'm sorry that I've gone away from you. Maybe no one else knows it, but I know it. Forgive me. Forgive me that I've lost my first love. I thank you, you've never given up on me. And today, I come running into your merciful arms and say, I'm home. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness, Lord. Father, I pray everybody who just prayed that prayer earnestly from their hearts, that your spirit will now fill them and move deeply in them. And I pray that we wouldn't just be a Western church, but I pray that we'll be the people of God, revealing your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Andrew, I think you were just playing, you're worthy of it all. Maybe just we could just sum with that chorus. You're worthy of it all. Hallelujah. You're worthy of it all. Precious Jesus. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all, Lord. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Thank you, Jesus. For from you are all things. To 
Andrew to just keep playing that. We're going to officially finish our gathering together, but it's not finishing our fellowship. And maybe some of those you looked around and thought, I need to know them. I need to say hi to them. I need to make a connection. Then over these next few moments, why don't you walk around the room and say hi. Of course, some people right now, they're not handshaking or hugging, so please be sensitive to the space that other people have and how they feel most confident. But in the name of Jesus, enjoy fellowship for these next few moments. The Lord bless you. We look forward to seeing you soon. Bye.